if you could find brand new worlds right here on Earth, where anything is possible? Same planet, different dimension. I found the gateway. Good evening. You're listening to the Parliament of Rooks podcast, episode 5. The old one-two. to the Parliament of Rooks podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Lanise, and with me, as always, is Melanie Lanise. Um, so first things first, uh, we want to apologize right off the bat if our voices sound uh, a little bit flat, a little bit uh, tired tonight. Mel and I have just spent the last eight hours shoveling out from the blizzard of 16 here. We have a, a metric ton of snow on, in, on our front yeah. lawn. And, uh, <laughs> it's like double the height of Little Pippin. Yeah, so, uh, but we're going to give it the old college try. We're we're nestled in. We got our, our winter porter, so that should uh, it should make for a good time tonight. Um, it's been quite a week here for the Parliament of Rooks, uh, as we mentioned on our last episode. You know, we're beginning to dip our toes into uh, some social media outlets. Uh, we'd set up a, a Twitter account, and uh, within one week, uh, we have doubled our listenership. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yay, Twitter! <laughs> Come on, Facebook, you better step up your game. Right. <laughs> So, um, so with so many new listeners, we figured we would just um, pause for a moment and, and sort of, you know, recap what this podcast is all about, you know, what the intent is, who Mel and I are, and, uh, and what type of stories, you know, we, we cover on this. Um, I imagine if people are just stumbling across us on the web, they see the title and, you know, they assume, oh, you know, this must be a Sandman podcast or something, you know, regarding uh, Neil Gaiman. And while it is that a little bit, uh, it's actually a lot more than that. Um, what this podcast does is basically cover all aspects of magic and the supernatural in the DC universe uh, throughout its history. As a rough starting point, we started our reviews basically at the, the dawn of the Silver Age, and what we intend to do is um, advance that narrative throughout the years, um, pausing at key moments to, to reflect back on, on some of the earlier stories. Um, we started in episode one, uh, basically with a historical overview of magic in DC Comics, and then we took a look at a very early uh, magic-related story from JLA number two uh, from 1960 called The Secret of the Sinister Sorcerers. Um, from there, we continued on with the JLA uh, with a two-parter in episode two uh, that introduced Felix Faust and the Demons Three, and sort of expanded that universe out a little bit. Uh, we broke away from the superhero stuff in episodes three and four uh, to take a look at a subgenre uh, covering supernatural detectives. Uh, we took a look at a guy called Misto Magician Detective uh, that appeared in Detective Comics, and then Mark Merlin, uh, who appeared uh, early on in House of Secrets. Uh, we continued on with Mark Merlin, introducing some of the more superhero aspects of his character, the introduction of a superpower and an arch nemesis, and then we looked at his co-feature in House of Secrets, uh, Eclipso. And that brings us up to date to today. Another thing we should probably cover then, uh, for any new listeners, as I say, if they've come here by way of the Neil Gaming Connection, is why we call ourselves the Parliament of Rooks. Um, if you're familiar with Sandman, you probably know that's a, a metaphor basically for storytelling. Um, within Sandman, they describe the behavior of birds uh, who would gather around a, a single individual and, and listen to him for a time and then pass judgment on the story that he was telling. Uh, the way that applies to us is basically the fact that I'm very familiar with this material, whereas for Melanie, uh, it's all brand new. Um, so as we go through these stories, I act as a storyteller, you know, reading, you know, sort of panel by panel or, you know, doing a, uh, an overview. And then at the end of it, uh, you know, Melanie, similar to the Parliament, 
will pass judgment on, on these tales, you know, deciding whether, uh, you know, it's a good story or, you know, it deserves to be executed. Right, and so far I think I'm a little bit more on the positive side. Yeah, yeah, it was like we were running 50-50 for a time, but yeah, I think we've now tipped the scale in favor of uh, you liking this. You're, uh, Mark Merlin. Yeah, <laughs> Mark Merlin was the key. You're slowly becoming a comic fan. We'll see. <laughs> and one last bit of business then for all our new listeners, because um, obviously you know we're not sure what avenue you guys have found us through, is um, just where you can find us. Um, first and foremost, our website is uh, tporpodcast.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash groups backslash the Parliament of Rooks podcast. Or you can just search for the Parliament of Rooks podcast and you'll find us. Yeah, in the little search box in Facebook, right? You can write the Parliament of Rooks podcast. You can probably just write Parliament of Rooks and it, it, would, it would come up. Um, like I say, the newest avenue was Twitter. Uh, very, very successful. You can find us there at TPOR podcast. Our feed is available um, via iTunes, Google Play, and uh, and Stitcher Radio, and you can leave feedback for us at any of these places, or write us directly at tporpodcast at gmail.com. So I think that should pretty much be it for anybody uh, joining new. Do you have anything else to add, or was that... No, I think that was pretty comprehensive. Yeah. So, uh, so for all you folks out there, now the onus falls on you. You have absolutely no excuse for not leaving feedback. <laughs> you know, tell us uh, if you like what you're hearing. Tell us if you don't like what you're hearing. Or give us suggestions for something you, you'd like to hear in the future. Um, and with that in mind, um, I guess we can go ahead and just launch for tonight. Sounds good. Yeah. So if you're joining for the very first time tonight, uh, you've actually just jumped into the deep end of the pool. Because uh, tonight, we're going to start talking about one of the cornerstones of DC Comics, uh, the concept of the multiverse. Um, now, I know in, in modern sci-fi, you know, parallel errors are, you know, pretty much par for the course. Things like, you know, sliders or like, you know, the, the mirror universe in, in Star Trek. Um, or they used it a lot in Heroes. Yeah, Heroes, exactly. Um, but, you know, it wasn't always the case. Um, certainly there was alternate realms presented, you know, in, in fiction. Uh, you know, things like, you know, Chronicles of Narnia or, or mm -hmm. you know, like Alice in Wonderland or Through the Looking Glass, that type thing. Um, but that whole idea of another universe where there's exact duplicates, you know, of, of every individual, you know, was sort of a novel concept, you know, in, in, the, in the 50s and 60s. With regard to comic books, uh, conventional wisdom basically says that um, it was the invention of a fellow by the name of Gardner Fox, and we would, we would be familiar with that name, honey, from our first couple episodes. He was the guy who wrote, um, you know, the, the two Justice Leagues stories that we covered. Oh, okay. Um, but something you may not know is the fact that he was the original writer for the Justice Society. Um, so the Golden Age stuff. The Golden Age stuff, exactly. So long before he came up with the concept of the DC multiverse, he's actually the man responsible for the invention of the DC universe. What does that mean exactly? Um, you've seen things like, you know, the, the Super Friends or like, you know, like uh, Justice League cartoon or even, even the stories that we're reading now, you know, with the Justice League. And you see how all these myriad characters are interacting together. You know, Flash knows Superman, who knows Batman, so on and so forth. And everybody knows Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah, and everybody knows Wonder Woman. <laughs> and everybody loves Aquaman <laughs> or Aquaman. But at least somebody does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, but it wasn't always the case. Um, back in the Golden Age, when these characters were first introduced... Each one of these series were very, very uh, siloed. You know, the guys who wrote Superman wrote Superman, you know, mm -hmm. and the guys who wrote Flash wrote Flash, and never the twain should meet. You know, it's not like suddenly Flash was going to go pop over to, to Metropolis and, and help Superman. So a crossover would have been a really big deal. Yeah, there's no such thing as a crossover until All-Star Comics number three, when Gardner Fox wrote the first story of the Justice Society. 
And that was the very first time in comics history where multiple heroes interacted in the same story. Hmm. Um, yeah, you had the Flash and the Green Lantern and you know the Golden Age Adam, the Golden Age Hawkman, Superman, Batman, uh, not Wonder Woman. She wasn't actually introduced yet. Um, but there was 10 characters in one story. And it was a completely novel concept and changed the whole world as far as comics are concerned. Now, the extension of that idea um, that we're going to be talking about tonight is the concept of the multiverse. And what that means is all these characters interact, you know, in, in the same world, but there's also other worlds out there where other groups of characters interact. And these worlds, you know, these Earths, if you will, are sort of separated by different vibratory rates. Neat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As I was saying before, you know, conventional wisdom is that, you know, it was Gardner Fox, um, you know, who introduced us. And for the most part, he did. You know, we... Uh, had taken a look at a couple stories, uh, you know, prior to this episode that weren't specifically magic related, you know, the first of which, um, you know, was Flash number 123. But in doing a little bit of research, I discovered that that was not actually the first appearance of Parallel Earths in DC Comics. Um, certainly in our very first episode, you know, we had taken a look at that story where they went to that place called Magic Land. Mm -hmm. and, yep. Yeah, and that was a duplicate of the Earth. Um, didn't have necessarily the same, you know, characters and so on and so forth. Um, but a story that did have an exact duplicate uh, was actually Wonder Woman number fifty nine from May of nineteen fifty three. Mm. You know, a full oh, yeah, a full eight years before Flash of Two Worlds, uh, Wonder Woman travels to this other uh, planet and, and basically meets a mirror image of herself named uh, Princess Terra Taruna, which uh, <laughs> yeah, in in her language that actually means Wonder Woman if you can believe that. Um, but yeah, but there's a whole sequence, you know, where Wonder Woman starts speculating and uh, I'm taking a look at the panel here and uh, she says, Earth must have a twin world existing simultaneously alongside it, but developing differently. And everyone on it is a double of everyone on Earth. The electrical storm somehow hurled me from my world to yours. So, you know, I don't know about you, but that sounds almost exactly like the concept, you know, that, yep. that we're taking a look at. Um, you know, that Gardner Fox uh, addressed. But all that being said, nobody can deny that Flash uh, 123, you know, isn't the more important story as far as repercussions, you know, in, in the DC universe slash multiverse. Um, because that story um, was the one in which those Golden Age characters who had long since ceased publication were suddenly introduced to a new generation of fans. Um, like I say, Mel and I read that story offline, but you know I, I'm, I'm fairly certain most of uh, my audience is familiar with it. Um, but if you're not, you know, absolutely classic cover. You know, we see a uh, uh, we see a fellow in, in peril, basically about to be uh, you know smashed by a girder, and and he's he's shouting out, "Flash, help me!" And uh, to the left, you know, we see our Silver Age Flash Barry Allen, you know, in his in his red costume, running, yelling, "I'm coming!" Um, but to the right. We see a character called the Golden Age Flash, well, called it called the Flash, but who existed in the Golden Age, you know, running and also saying, "I'm coming," and this pretty much blew the minds of comic readers at the time, you know, who were familiar with that older generation because uh, this old Golden Age Flash, Jay Garrick, hadn't been seen in years. Um, the story basically describes, you know, the Silver Age Flash, Barry Allen, uh, being accidentally transported um, to this other world where everything seems to be almost a, a mirror duplicate of his own world, um, you know, with slight differences. Like, you know, his city is called Central City, and suddenly he discovers that he's in a place called Keystone City. Hmm. Um, and this, yeah, and this sort of sparks a memory, um, you know, in Barry Allen about comic books he used to read as a child, um, where his namesake, you know, the, the Golden Age Flash, to, to him, a fictional character, mm -hmm. operated out of Keystone City. He goes into this whole sequence where he's basically remembering that the author of that story, Gardner Fox, so, you know, basically a bit of a meta-commentary there, 
um, would say that the way he wrote these stories was by receiving them in dreams. And Gardner Fox, you know, in this story, mm -hmm. speculated that these dreams were coming from a parallel world. Oh, well, there you go. Um, so the Silver Age Flash and the Golden Age Flash, you know, once they figure out what's going on and, uh, you know, and designate their Earth, you know, oddly, the, uh, the Silver Age Flash calls his Earth Earth 1, and then, you know, accordingly, the Golden Age Flash would live on Earth 2. Um, That's kind of backward. Yeah, it is. It's totally backward, right? Because you'd think, you know, Golden Age came first. But I think what it was was basically, you know, Justice League is the, the sort of primary Earth. So, you know, Earth Prime mm -hmm. 1, whatever have you. Um, but the two of them team up, and, you know, and then they defeat a, a trio of Golden Age villains. Uh, it was, what, the, the Fiddler and, and the Shade mm -hmm. and uh, and the Thinker. And, um, and, yeah, and once again, these characters hadn't been seen since the 40s either. Um, to their credit... Uh, the artists actually portray these characters as slightly older. You remember the uh, the Golden Age Flash had the uh, sort of... Uh, Gray hair at the temples. The silver at the temples, exactly. And it was really sort of a nod to, you know, the fact that time had passed, that these were, in fact, characters, you know, from the 40s. They portray them as being retired, you know, his costumes there in the closet, so on and so forth. Um, but in any case, you know, the two of them team up, have a little adventure, and then at the end of it, you know, Silver Age Flash goes back to his Earth. And as I said before, this story was a huge hit. Like, the little kids reading this just went nuts and, like, demanded, you know, when are they going to be, when are they going to team up again, when are they going to team up again? Um, so it was only actually just uh, nine months later. Uh, that first story was from September of 61. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in June of 62, uh, in Flash number 129, uh, they had them team up, but this time it was a sort of reverse situation. The Golden Age Flash, you know, from Earth 2, got transported over to Earth 1. And he teamed up with Barry and against, like, three of his villains. And, uh, you know, sort of the same thing, but just, you know, in reverse. Um, but the third story that dealt with, you know, the whole multiverse concept is the one that really laid the groundwork for the expansion uh, of this concept and is going to set the stage, you know, for what we're covering tonight. And that would have been uh, The Vengeance of the Immortal Villain from Flash number 137 uh, from June of 63. Um, as these Flash crossovers were happening, um, you know, the letters started pouring in, well, what about the rest of the Justice Society? Where's Wonder Woman? Where's Green Lantern? So on and so forth. Um, so that particular story that we were talking about, you know, from Flash 137, sort of slowly introduced those. You know, in that, um, one of the uh, Justice Society's old villains, you know, Vandal Savage, had captured an, a number of those individuals. Uh, he'd captured, I, I think, you know, Hawkman and, and Wonder Woman, uh, the Atom, and... Uh, and then, so it was up to the Flashes, obviously, you know, to, to save the day and release them. But at the end of it, now, there's a little throwaway line where Wonder Woman's like, you know what, it might be a good idea if, you know, even though we're retired, if every once in a while we would get back into costume, maybe, you know, have a little meeting, just so we can prevent, you know, future uh, baddies from, from, you know, stealing the day. Um, so basically they were putting a little teaser out there to say, yeah, the Justice Society is, is back in force. And the way that they came back in force, at least initially, um, I think I mentioned last time out, was through these sort of summer crossovers with the Justice League. Uh, every summer, there would be a two-part story in Justice League where that, you know, dimensional vibrational plane would be pierced. And for one reason or another, the Justice Society would cross over and, and you know, and, and fight alongside the JLA. The whole team? Um, actually, it was usually like a sampling of maybe like, you know, six or seven heroes. The Justice Society was actually, uh, had a much larger membership than the JLA at that time. Um, so I think what they would do was maybe like rotate through, you know, seven or eight different heroes, um, sort of slowly introducing them. Obviously, you know, uh, Flash and Green Lantern were, were sort of biggies. Um, actually, you know what, I'm going to use this as a point to describe a, a little bit of nuance between these errors. Um, because like we said before, you know, parallel versions of characters, that actually takes on a couple different flavors. Um, 
The first one is where there's two individuals who are the exact same person, right? So the Golden Age Batman and the Silver Age Batman are both Bruce Wayne. They both have a Robin who's Dick Grayson. They both live in Wayne Manor, that type thing. Mm -hmm. But some of their, their actual um, details might be slightly different. Like they have a different Alfred. You know, uh, like the Alfred that Silver Age guy has is, you know, sort of a thin fellow, whereas the Golden Age has a portly Alfred. Small difference. Superman, same guy, dates a Lois Lane, um, but Silver Age Superman works at the Daily Planet. Golden Age Superman works at the Daily Star. So case number one, same person. Case number two is where they are the same hero name, but actually different people. So like the Flash, for instance, you know, our Silver Age Flash is Barry Allen, Golden Age Flash, completely different guy, Jay Garrick, you know? Oh. So, yeah, so that's flavor number two. And that applies to folks like uh, the Atom, the, the Green Lantern, and uh, and Hawkman. It actually gets a little bit confusing because the Golden Age Hawkman is a man named Carter Hall, uh, but the Silver Age Hawkman is an alien named Katar Hall. So mm. it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, very, very near, but, you know. And then the third uh, type character is where there are no direct parallels. Um, like, for instance, we had said the Martian Manhunter was a newly introduced character in the Silver Age. Well, there's no Golden Age Martian Manhunter, so he doesn't have a duplicate. And um, one of the primary guys we're going to be taking a look at tonight, and you know, the whole reason we're doing this story is because of the magic aspect, is a fellow by the name of Dr. Fate, um, who is a magic user uh, on the Justice Society, but there's no duplicate of him in the Justice League. Um, so that's case number three, where they're wholly unique. Um, but overall, like I say, you know, same earth, but just like, you know, vibrant and different, but with with these little differences. So all of that is basically background then for, as I say, this two-part Justice League story that we're going to be taking a look at tonight um, that just blew the doors off the whole uh, multiverse concept and, and really laid the groundwork for years to come. Um, it appeared in Justice League of America number 21 uh, from August 63, uh, but then the second part, obviously, in Justice League of America number 22 uh, from September of 63. Uh, the first part is called Crisis on Earth 1, and uh, can you take a wild guess what the uh, the second part is going to be called? Yes, Crisis on Earth 2. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Big brain on me. Yeah, so uh, so both of these are written by Gardner Fox, you know, the uh, the architect of the multiverse concept, uh, with pencils by uh, Mike Sikowski and inks by Bernard Sachs, the same art team that we'd seen in the earlier Justice League stories, uh, letters by Gaspar Saladino, um, colors once again unknown. Um, both covers are penciled by Mike Sikowski with inks by Murphy Anderson and letters by Ira Schnapp. So as always, let's uh, begin with our cover. Um, Justice League of America number 21, we see our JLA uh, seated around a table on which there is a crystal ball. And uh, going around, we'll start in the lower left-hand corner. Let's go counterclockwise and I'll let you take the lead on, on naming our heroes. Okay. Just so they stay fresh in your head. That's, uh, the, first of all, they're all holding hands, so that's unusual. So Batman and Superman are holding hands. <laughs> I forget who the Robin Hood guy is. That is Green Arrow. Okay. So Batman holding hands with Superman, holding hands with Green Arrow. Green Arrow holding hands with Aquaman, holding hands with Green Lantern, holding hands with Martian Manhunter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Holding hands with... Um, Ah, I see a new little, character. Little, like, yeah, yeah. Tiny, so do you remember the, the letter column from uh, E. Nelson Bridwell where he was talking about the, the letters and the, the names or whatever? And no, I said there was going to be a new hero. Well, he's the four-letter hero, right? Adam? The Adam, exactly. Okay. And, and, and that's important, right, because he's tiny. He's as small as an atom. Oh, he, he basically well, he's, he's bigger than an atom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then in the background. 
Oh, Wonder Woman. And Wonder Woman, yeah. Who yeah, doesn't appear to be holding it. No, no, so. no. She is. Oh, yeah. She's yeah. between uh, Green Lantern and John Jones. Um, okay. And so, as I say, um, they're centered around a crystal ball. And uh, there's a cloud of smoke rising through it. And we see a, a strange group of heroes that we may not have seen before. Um, the caption reads, Back after 12 years, the legendary superstars of the Justice Society of America. Featuring... And I'll let you take the lead on who's in the cloud. Um Guy to the left, uh, you know, you might gather from his wings, is He's... Hawkman. Oh, I thought he was an angel. Yeah. Uh, next to him is the, as I say, the primary reason we're doing the story tonight, the magic user, Dr. Fate. Okay. Um, a little bit of background on him. We're actually, we're going to delve into him deeper in our next couple episodes. Um, but just a little bit of background. He is um, in possession of a magical helmet. Um, that has this sort of spirit, I guess you would say, of a uh, an ancient Egyptian sorcerer. So it's more detailed than that, uh, but at least initially, that's enough to go with. Okay. Um, the girl in front is uh, Black Canary, who's just uh, sort of a, you know, ass-kicky type girl. You know, she rides a motorcycle and, you know, beats people up, but she doesn't have any special powers. Um, behind her is the Golden Age Green Lantern. Um, basically, same as our Green Lantern, has a power ring um, you know, that he can make constructs out of. Um, next to him is a fellow called Our Man, who uh, has invented a pill called uh, Miraclo. He's actually a uh, chemist, and this little pill gives him an hour of power. He becomes like, <laughs> yeah, super strong and that type of thing. And then next to him, uh, and I'm imagining they included him because of the introduction of our uh, Silver Age Adam, is the Golden Age Adam. And, uh, and his deal, basically, is he's just a short dude who's pretty tough. He was actually a wrestler in college and, uh, you know, just goes out there and fights crime, you know, with his strength. He might, I think at one point they gave him um, some atomic-related powers, but I'm not sure at this point in the timeline whether he has those yet. Um, and then, but one more thing of note, uh, what color is the background? Oh, purple, of course. Purple, of course. So you know this one's going to be kids. flying off the racks. Yeah. So let's crack open the cover then uh, to page one. And uh, we see almost the, the mirror image of the cover. We see the Justice Society uh, sitting around looking at a cloud of smoke through which they see the Justice League, you know, around a crystal ball. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the caption reads, Trapped in their headquarters, imprisoned by a team of master villains, the Justice League of America turns to the Justice Society of America for help. In turn, the Justice Society will use the assistance of the Justice League in this strange game of turnabout in two worlds. Never before have both bands of superheroes met. But never before has there been such a crisis on Earth-1. So we turn the page and we see in the secret sanctuary of the Justice League, its members meet in an emergency session. Acting as chairman for this meeting is the famous crime fighter Batman. And Batman's saying, Fellow members, we're assembled here today because of the challenge from a new team of evildoers, the Crime Champions. Kronos, Felix Faust, and Dr. Alchemy have alerted us to the fact that they intend to rob the Power City Bank, a sunken ship, and a Safeway armor car. They boast that they will rob and elude us no matter what we do. And already we see the stage being set for our uh, our formula, right? We see three villains. They're hitting three things. Can you imagine what's going to happen next? Yes. <laughs> what? Well, the superheroes are going to split up into threes. In the teams. And, yeah, and they're <laughs> going to go off on three different missions. Yeah. But they will all tie together. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. So, yes, Martian Manhunter says, those characters never learn. Adam. Let's you and I team up with Aquaman and teach that occult magician Felix Faust a lesson. Batman says, Wonder Woman, you and Green Lantern and I will duel with the time thief Kronos. And Flash says, Superman, Green Arrow and I will take on Dr. Alchemy and his Philosopher's Stone. 
Um, I'll just pause and give you a little bit of background on the, these villains. It's not too, too important. Obviously, Felix Faust, you already know. Um, it's a nice callback because, you know, we, we covered him in episode two. Kronos uh, is actually an atom villain. Uh, as you say, he's sort of time-related. And then Dr. Alchemy, uh, kind of a unique guy, actually. Um, this is not too, too important. I don't think we're ever really going to delve too deep into him. But he's actually a villain who has two identities. Um, one of them is uh, Dr. Alchemy, and as you see, you know, he fights with a Philosopher's Stone, you know, like the Sorcerer's Stone or whatever from Harry Potter. And um, but his other identity is Mr. Element, and I think he might be like split personality, like he doesn't know when he's either of these two guys. Oh. So yeah, it's kind of neat, but I, I think they're not going to deal with Mr. Element in this one, just uh, Dr. Alchemy. What year was this? It's uh, 63. Okay. So I think that's really interesting that um, in 1963 that they were still calling... The, they were still calling the stone the Philosopher's Stone as opposed to the Sorcerer's Stone from Harry Potter. Yeah, right, because they renamed that because they thought American audiences were too stupid. And, and yet, the kids of 1963, they didn't think were too stupid. Right. You know? So that's funny. Um, so anyway, so picking up the gauntlet of battle hurled down by the Master Criminals, the Champions of Justice set out. And, uh, and once again, do you remember what I call this? The Mike Sikowski money shot. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, all the heroes all lined up, you know, in the, a horizontal tableau, like running out. Um, so, oh, and, and the Green Arrow notes, um, he's grinning because he was just thinking about Snapper Carr, who can't be with us because he's taking college exams this week. Looks like he'll be missing out on the action again. So maybe they're phasing out old Snapper. So, but unknown to the Justice League of America, at the same moment, on a duplicate Earth, occupying the same space as our own Earth, but separated from it because it vibrates at a different speed. As we see a little editor's note saying, see Flash 123, Flash of Two Worlds, uh, which we've read, mm -hmm. um, is, get, is gathered a different uh, but similar organization, the Justice Society of America. You see the uh, Justice Society all lounging out in their stylish 1960s chairs. And uh, Dr. Fate, our magic user, says, it sure is good to be back together again in our modernized headquarters. I love your voices. Oh, thanks. I, yeah, Dr. Fate, like I say, Dr. Fate, kind of Egyptian, so I don't know, maybe I'll try a, a modified Yule Brenner. Um, but anyway, our man uh, is saying, uh, and to know we've been challenged to a showdown fight. Um, then we get a uh, another little editor's blurb. For those readers unfamiliar with the two Earths in which Barry, Flash Allen, and Jay, Flash Garrick operate, we point out that two objects, like our planet Earth and its duplicate, can inhabit the same space if they vibrate, as all matter does to an extent, at different speeds. By vibrating swiftly, both J Flash and Barry Flash have been able to travel in and out of both Earths. And in this other Earth of J Flash, the Justice Society of America is meeting after a lapse of 12 years, as uh, their Green Arrow is saying. Ever since Vandal Savage captured some of us and we were rescued by the two Flashes, editor's note, see Flash 137, Vengeance of the Immortal Villain, which we read, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I've looked forward to this get-together. You're not the only one, Green Lantern, says Black Canary. Yes, after more than a decade of inactivity, the old Justice Society of America is meeting once again. True, there's a few gray hairs showing, and their faces are lined with the passage of time, but their mighty powers are only dimmed slightly. Which, passage of time, these, I mean, so if they were active in World War II, this is only the early 60s. I mean, they're in their early 40s. They're the same age as us. <laughs> I resent the uh, faces <laughs> lined with the passage of time. Um, so we see the... the... I, I will admit to a few gray hairs, though. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so we see the roll call and little little headshots as we go around and we say Black Canary, just to refresh you. So that's Black Canary, uh, Dr. Fate, Our Man, uh, the Atom, Hawkman, uh, the Flash, and Green Lantern. Do so does Dr. Fate always have the mask on? 
Yes. And so, uh, okay. I didn't want to get too deep into it. Like I say, we're going to explore him uh, next episode. Uh, but long story short is Dr. Fate is the helmet. Um, mm. When this man, mm -hmm. Kent Nelson, who, uh, you know, puts it on, um, is basically possessed by this, this ancient magician. Um, if any of these people were to put the helmet on, they would be Dr. Fate. Okay. Yeah. So, like I said, we'll get into that deeper next episode. Um, for now, just consider him to be a magician. So, he's saying, Since our revised bylaws call for a rotating membership of seven, we've been chosen by lot for our first case. Though they aren't here, I have congratulatory messages from Starman, Sandman, Wonder Woman, Dr. Midnight, and the others. Who are, you would ask before, um, do they always include everybody? No. So these, here's some people that they're not including in this team up that might do it next year. Now then, says our man, what's this showdown fight about? And Hawkman says, we've been challenged by our old enemies, the Fiddler, the Wizard, and the Icicle, to try to stop them as, as they commit a trio of million-dollar robberies. Yeah, their names, they're very sort of old-timey, right? You know, the Wizard, um, the Icicle, uh, was actually an old um, Green Lantern villain. Um, the wizard, I thought, I, I believe, was a, um, a Justice Society villain. And the Fiddler, we saw from that first uh, Flash uh, crossover, you know, with the Golden Age Flash. He's the guy who plays the hypnotic music. Uh -huh. Yeah. So as they get their mission, please smiles break out on the faces of the old-time champions of justice with Black Canary saying, I feel younger already. I'll cut it out. Yeah, Flash. The Fiddler, what memories I have of him. Memories? Dude, you just fought him like a couple, like two issues ago. And, you know, and <laughs> is it fond memories? And I, says Green Lantern, of my old nemesis, the Icicle. So eagerly, the Super Seven leap to their feet. As, guess what they do? <laughs> oh, of course, they're going to split up into teams. Split up into teams, exactly. So Hawkman says, Flash, Adam, shall we bring back, shall we bring back the, go the good old days by teaming up together? And Black Canary's like, how about it, Green Lantern? You and I had some great adventures side by side. Shall we relive them? And Dr. Face says, oh, man, it's been a long time, and I can hardly wait to get going. Um, so out from their new headquarters stream the old-timers in a Mike Sikowski money shot. They, too, have lined up in a horizontal tableau and are ready to go adventuring. 77 shy soldiers? That's tricky. Hmm. You can take that out of context. <laughs> yeah, and before we turn the page, Melanie's uh, pointing at the, uh, the Tootsie Roll ad, which says, Try a tongue teaser. 77 shy soldiers, 77 shy soldiers, which I don't think that's too hard. And next to it, the Tootsie Roll ad says, now buy a tongue pleaser. <laughs> Taken out of context, that's completely different. I'm <laughs> yeah. not going to do it handy. Well, it's a child's magazine, so <laughs> let's just turn the page. Uh, <laughs> bypassing yet another Palisades oh. Park. Yes, 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 let's not dredge up old memories. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, Crisis on Earth, Chapter 2. Over the sunken hull of a modern ocean liner, held aloft by his sorcerer's powers, stands that master of mystical magic, Felix Faust. As his voice rolls out above the waves, a sea opens up. By gill of fish and shark's tuft hide, by wave, by foam, now sea divide. That's what I'm looking for, man, a, ma a rhyming magic spell. <laughs> We've missed him in the Mark Merlin ones. Uh, so racing down the magic stairway, he calls another incantation, and in answer to that verbal summons, up gold, up cash. Fly through the ship. Come to my hands without a slip. <laughs> and again, his voice roars out. Be light as air on shell of sea. Carry me far as now I flee. <laughs> as, uh, as he boards the shell of a giant clam with a, uh, uh, the safe that he's just robbed from the ocean liner. <laughs> but as his giant clamshell is uh, sort of floating away through the divided sea, uh, Aquaman suddenly makes a scene. Attack my brothers of the waves. As he's uh, ordering the... Uh, dolphins and, and, and whales. 
Stop this wicked man from stealing money that belongs to the steamship company. Their divers located it. It belongs to them. Uh, but Felix Faust counters with a, another spell. Roll sea, crash waves, meet ocean, engulf all within your motion. As suddenly the divided sea crashes together uh, with such stunning force that the denizens of the deep are knocked senseless. As you see the whales and dolphins sort of like knocked out, you know, below the surface of the ocean. Uh, but uh, through the air, we see Martian Manhunter making the scene. Uh, Felix Faust is thinking, another man in your mind. Well, I can handle him as easily as I did Aquaman. Uh, so what Felix Faust does is he conjures up the Martian Manhunter's weakness. Fire burn, fire fall, fire come to one and all. Oh, I'm losing my Martian powers fast. I can lend a hand here, says the Atom, suddenly jumping from Jean's uh, shoulder. So making himself as light as a feather, the Atom rides the sea winds until, by increasing my weight, I can turn this fireball away from the Martian Manhunter. So he sort of jumps through the air and kicks the fireball away. Another fireball hits him, but he kicks that away. And a third, same deal. So swiftly does the Atom work that he clears a path for his fellow member. Now blow, Martian Manhunter, as hard as you can. <laughs> it's like, dude, you're brand new to the team. We hardly know each other. <laughs> but uh, but no, you're talking super breath. And so borne aloft by the Martian breath of John Jones, the mighty might bullets towards Felix Faust. You cannot harm me, Adam. I told you I'd elude you all, and I will. Uh, but the Adam's clenched fists crash at their target. Huh? I'm hitting nothing but a wisp of mist. Where'd he go? Your guess is as good as mine, says Martian Manhunter. Uh, all I know is that Felix Faust has eluded us as he said he would. Hmm. It's okay. I'm sure it'll come back around. No, I don't think so. I think Felix Faust has gotten the, the better of our, our heroes. Uh-oh. <laughs> the comics code might not like this. <laughs> so, so we move to a different scene as we see a long Route 56, an armored money truck speeding toward an oddly garbed man who's none other than Dr. Alchemy, super criminal. My one-time Philosopher's Stone that the Flash hurled into space, editor's note, see Showcase number 14, The Man Who Changed the Earth, uh, was later recovered by me and altered into a Matter Transformer. Uh, so what he does is he shoots his little Matter Transformer uh, at the wheels of the armored vehicle, transforming them to rocks. And uh, as that does, it suddenly grinds to a halt, knocking the, the guards out of it, and then... <laughs> I wonder why that would have happened. Well, because it's a sudden stop, right? They, they got jolted out, basically. Although, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but what, all the doors opened. Yeah, I don't know why the guy in the back would have gotten knocked out. Um, but uh, but as it happens, you know, uh, Dr. Alchemy hits it again with his wand and transforms the side of it to wings and you know, basically makes a sort of armored plane and, and takes off. Uh, so, to meet the challenge of this super criminal, uh, who comes rushing in? Superman, Green Arrow, and the Flash. So we see the Scarlet Speedster, Flash, uh, hurtling past the road marker. Uh, but as he does so, an astounding change takes place. What, what's happening to me? I'm vibrating so swiftly, I'm, I'm being shaken apart. But at this moment, uh, along Route 56, Your getaway has ended, Dr. Alchemy, says Superman. Is that a boast or a threat, Superman? As beams from Dr. Alchemy's matter transformer touch the telephone pole, altering it to kryptonite. Uh-oh. Yeah, making the Man of Steel crash down. And, uh... I guess the pole's not enough because Dr. Alchemy hits the fire hydrant and turns it too to kryptonite. Um, so Superman is there, you know, lying, writhing in pain. Uh, Dr. Alchemy, in the same motion, whirls toward Green Arrow, who's landed his plane and is racing forward. The aeroplane. Um, <laughs> it's just as easy to stop you, Archer, as uh, he hits the, the ground with the, the matter transformer wand, transforming it to a river of glue. I'm caught, held fast, says Green Arrow. 
But my stun arrow will knock you out. He draws his bow and shoots a stun arrow at Dr. Alchemy. Fire all the arrows you want. I'll turn every one of them into harmless weeds, as he does so. Mm -hmm. And as our heroes are incapacitated, uh, Dr. Alchemy boards his transformed armored plane and, uh, and takes off. There he goes, and neither Superman nor I can stop him, says Green Arrow. And, and where's the Flash? He never showed up at all. The Flash has already been taken care of in a very special way. Ha ha, says Dr. Alchemy as he flies away. Suddenly, the amazing archer cries out. Wait, I've been directing my arrows to the wrong target. I can fire a paint arrow at the fire hydrant. So he shoots a, a lead arrow at the, at the fire hydrant, saying that the... Uh, the lead in the paint will cut off the deadly rays of the kryptonite, giving Superman a chance to get back his tremendous powers. It, okay, so <laughs> that's, that's some good, some keen shooting there. I mean, if he's going to cover the whole thing <laughs> in lead. <laughs> okay, so seconds later, as the paint does in fact blanket the fire hydrant, the Man of Steel stirs, rising to his feet. Green Arrow bemoans the situation, saying, Dr. Alchemy got away, Superman. Do you feel well enough to go after him? My strength's coming back, Green Arrow, thanks to you. So, the next moment, the two Justice League members are airborne after their quarry. Hold on, Green Arrow, says Superman, grabbing his hand. Up, up, and away we go after that crook. That's You don't often see Superman saying up, up, and yeah. away in the, in the comics. Um, so, as the Man of Steel and the Ace Archer zero in on the flying money car, uh, these arrows will stop him cold. I told you I'd elude you, and I will. And sure enough, um, as the arrows reach their target, the target's no longer there. He's gone, disappeared right in front of us. He made good on his boast. He did elude us. Honey, I'm starting to get worried. This is two villains in a row just got away. I'm, I'm guessing the third one's going to get away too because they're, the Justice League isn't really doing their job right now. Mm. Well, hopefully this last one's going to turn the tide because meanwhile, at Power City, a strange craft touches the wall of its great bank. What a time I'll have with the million dollars in this bank, says Kronos. My hourglass, with its quote-unquote bottled time, will age the bank wall where it hits so fast the bricks will crumble to powder. That's a pretty good weapon. Um, so as the deadly time bomb, quote-unquote, crashes in, into the wall, and we see an explosion, Kronos thinks concentrated time is as deadly to those bricks as corrosive acid. It's time to step through the opening and into the vault itself. The one's inside the vault. Kronos snatches up the money for which he's come. Uh, well, in the distance, and we see our heroes approaching as Kronos is thinking, I've, quote-unquote, timed this just right. Ugh. Here come, Green, here come Wonder Woman, Batman, and Green Lantern to try to stop me. And as the heroes arrive, uh, Kronos exits the, uh, the vault in, in his, uh, his flying sundial. Um, as Wonder Woman saying, As soon as my magic lasso tightens around him, Kronos is our prisoner. Um, but uh, Kronos holds up uh, what appears to be a, a sort of old-fashioned pocket watch, uh, through which the hands suddenly fly out from it. And he's saying, Nothing like a helping hand from the hands of time. And uh, those clock hands, they darted out and moved my lasso away from Kronos. Uh, in almost the same motion, he turns toward Batman, who's dropping from the Batplane to attack. And he throws the crystal from that watch. It will soon be crystal clear what I have in store for you, Batman. As the razor-sharp edge of the watch slices uh, Batman's rope and sends him earthward. And finally, from below, uh, Green Lantern comes rushing in. But, uh, you know, what's the best defense against a Green Lantern? Yellow. Exactly. So, uh... Kronos is saying, huh, you've heard the time is golden, haven't you, Green Lantern? In your case, it is. As a <laughs> yellow gas begins rushing out of the, uh, uh, the flying sundial. Um, so Wonder Woman leaps into action, throwing her lasso around Green Lantern's foot, saying, merciful Minerva, encased in that golden mist, Green Lantern is plummeting earthward, just as Batman is. I must rescue him. So she does so, and uh, 
And as she rescues him, he shoots out a sort of green construct and rescues Batman. Um, so as one, the Justice League members rocket upward to, to attack once again. I'll waste no more time on you and just say farewell. As to their stunned amazement they see, he's drifting apart as if he were no more than mere mist. So he got away too. That's right. This, this is a dark day for the Justice League. I have no idea what they're going to do. As even the editor is saying, what indeed has happened to Kronos and to Felix Faust and Dr. Alchemy? As each one of them vanishes, let us follow them through space and time to an unsuspected borderland between the two Earths. Interesting. So on the rim of the twin Earths, in a great sphere of vibratory energy, the arch-criminals come face to face with another trio of crime champions. Everything went as you planned it. How did you make out on your Earth? Listen. So they a new person. Let's turn the page here see who these folks are. As our first new villain is a sort of top-hatted man with a strange forked beard saying, I met my old enemies Green Lantern and the Black Canary, defeated their every effort with the magical arts I learned in mystical Tibet. So this is the wizard. Okay. Yeah. So in flashback we see the wizard, you know, fighting these two as uh, he's attacking the Golden Age Green Lantern with wood. Uh, this may be new for you, but yeah. similar to how uh, our Green Lantern, you know, he's powerless against yellow. Old green, the Golden Age Green Lantern is powerless against wood. Um, so he's throwing bats and chairs and, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. Chesterfields or whatever. And, uh, and against uh, Black Canary, uh, he's sending cyclonic winds, you know, through which he can make no headway. And so then our second fellow, the Fiddler, who actually we did see in that previous Flash tale, uh, picks up the story. Did my heart good to come to grips with my former foes, Flash and Hawkman and the Atom, as we see his flashback. And uh, Fiddler's using his sort of weaponized sonics against the, the trio as these uh, living notes are, are emanating from, from his, his violin. Those intense decibels from Fiddler's violin are ripping my wings to shreds, says Hawkman. And that eerie music causing a wall to fall on me, says Adam. And those awful vibrations shaking me up into drifting atoms, says, says Golden Age Flash. That's interesting because our Silver Age Flash also sort of disappeared from the scene. Hmm. That's uh, uh, that might come into play a little bit later. Before all that, we see our third villain of this trio, the Icicle, who is chuckling coldly and saying, <laughs> Our man and Dr. Fate did their best, but they were no match for my icy nerves. As, uh, as we flashback, uh, we see the Icicle battling those two, holding uh, our man in an ice block and then you know, sort of shooting it as Dr. Fate. As he's saying, My magic will melt those ice spears, but by that time, the Icicle will have escaped. So the flashbacks end, and there are two trios, you know, the one from Earth 2 and the one from Earth 1 are sort of celebrating as Felix Faust is saying, The portable vibrator you gave us worked perfectly, Fiddler. With them, we were able to fade away from Earth 1, vibrate ourselves with super swift speed, and to reappear here. As the Fiddler says, It was a lucky day for me when I discovered the vibratory pitch that opens the doorway between our Earths. As you recall, the Icicle, the wizard, and I were escaping from our Earth-2 jail thanks to a special violin string I made that shattered our cell bars. As we see a flashback, you know, with this trio of villains sort of in prison garb, you know, on the lamb, as, uh, as one of them saying, The guards are closing in on us, Fiddler. I'll try a different string, see if the sound can stop them. So I struck another note on my violin, and as it rang out, the earth around us shimmered and quivered. We seem to have shifted into another universe. We found ourselves on a stage in Central City, Earth-1. And uh, you might recognize this because this is the very same place uh, that the first Earth shift occurred. This is the self-same stage that Barry Allen in Flash 123 was able to access Earth 2. Huh. Yeah. And the editor remarks upon that in a little editor's note. Um, so they emerge, you know, right in the middle of the stage show as Chapter 2 ends. 
Surprise! So we continue now with Crisis on Earth 1, Chapter 3. In a misty borderland between two Earths, separated by only a few degrees of vibratory speed, safe from discovery by their enemies the Justice League and Justice Society, are gathered six crime champions. They chuckle over their triumphs and plan to live their lives of ease. As Kronos is saying, As you appeared on that stage in Central City, Felix Faust, Dr. Alchemy, and I were about to rob the proceeds of the stage show. As Felix is saying, Seeing you in convict garb, Dr. Alchemy and I created a disturbance and rescued you while Kronos grabbed the show loot. That's a, a pretty weird-looking mask that Kronos wears. This is the first like close-up they're doing of him. And um, very non-traditional. The, the eye holes, the mouth hole, and the ears are all cut out. He looks like a sort of backward clown. Yeah. <laughs> it's very strange. Um, but anyway, Felix Faust continues. Then I made the six of us invisible with my magic and spirited us out of there and to the police. They are lousy with puns this time. And the Justice League wouldn't <laughs> and the Justice League wouldn't know you had come from our earth into yours. It was a lucky thing we did, too. And the fiddler replies, Yes, your generosity to us paid handsome dividends, because now you can each take the million dollars you stole from under the noses of the Justice League and go into our earth and spend it without fear of apprehension. And the icicle adds, The trouble with being a super criminal has always been the fact that Justice Society, or in your case, Kronos, the Justice League, always catches us. In our earth, no one knows you there. In your earth, no one knows us. Unknown to either the police or the Justice League, says Felix Faust, we can enjoy spending our loot for a change. <laughs> Best of all, says Dr. Alchemy, the only two men who might have recognized us, the two Flashes, have already been disposed of. In an out-of-this-world way, says so the Fiddler. Yeah, that's right, see, it all comes back. So the six supervillains turn and smile, for nearby, they see the two speedsters safely pinned inside vibratory bubbles. <laughs> they ran right into vibratory traps we set up for them, says the Fiddler and were dissipated into their molecular structure and reassembled in, inside those small spheres. These spheres counter-vibrate... Oh my gosh, this is very dense. Right? <laughs> These spheres counter-vibrate to the vibratory speeds of both flashes automatically, so no matter how fast either or both of the flashes vibrate to escape, their vibrations are neutralized. You understand, flashes, we had to get rid of you because you alone know the way to travel between the two Earths, and you alone could recognize the villains of both worlds if they showed up on yours. <sighs> That's a lot so, of exposition. Let me just ask you, because this seems to be like very text-heavy to me. Yeah. Is this a, a little abnormal? No, exposition is a huge part of Silver Age tales. Like, you know, uh, you might know one of my favorite things is the Legion of Superheroes. Yeah. I mean, pages and pages of text just to explain it. And I think, once again, though, it's because of the audience, right? This is written for children, so you need to explain in minute detail exactly what's going on. Or you're going to get letters like, well, how come they couldn't just vibrate, blah, 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 blah. So they're trying to nip mm. it in the bud, basically, by, you know, like, you know, uh, giving these okay. long details detailed explanations. Um, so anyway, the icicle says, all that remains for us now is to use the portable vibrators the fiddler made and go into each other's worlds. Yeah, the portable vibrators. Let's <laughs> gloss over that. <laughs> Once again, children. <laughs> so we're in our civilian identities, says Dr. Alchemy. We can enjoy the fruits of our crime without either the Justice League or the Justice Society bothering us. And so it is, while Kronos, Felix Faust, and Dr. Alchemy enjoy a life of ease on Earth 2, the Fiddler, the Wizard, and Icicle, in their civilian identities, frequent the vacation resorts of Earth 1, completely safe from punishment for their crimes. It's not long before the sight of so much wealth causes the crime champions from Earth 2 to itch for action. How can I resist the temptation, says one of our uh, trio in civilian garb. So much money, jewels, and other valuables going to waste because no one's here to take them, except us. I must send a signal out to my comrades, summon them to meet me in Casino Town. Casino Town. Yeah, so let's cut to Casino Town, USA, where some, <laughs> somewhat later. So you agree that we owe it to ourselves to rob this entire city? Yes. 
but only by masquerading as Kronos, Felix Faust, and Dr. Alchemy to protect our true identities. Oh, this is the Earth 2 trio, mm -hmm. and they're going to disguise themselves as the, as the Earth 1 trio. So I suggest that we challenge the Justice League of America to a showdown battle. Why? And get rid of them once and for all. We'll show our friends that their enemies are no match for us. We can work out traps against which the Justice League members will be absolutely helpless. So not long after, uh, from a crystal ball in the souvenir room of the secret headquarters of the Justice League, uh, where the members meet to discuss their recent defeat, Members of the Justice League, this is Felix Faust, offering you another chance to catch us. You failed once, but surely you'd like to try again. Yes, I'm doing a fake Felix Faust voice. <laughs> he's like, he's trying to, he, the wizard is trying to imitate Felix Faust. So that's the Felix falsetto. <laughs> okay, that's good. Um, so, uh, so high excitement brings every member, even the late arrival Green Lantern, talking about the crystal ball. Um, We've just robbed Casino Town of its last penny. We will wait ten minutes for you. Wait with open arms full of loot to see if you can take it away from us. I've just recharged my power ring. Hey, what's up? Says uh, Green Lantern, making the scene late. Um, so as the voice fades out, you know, they catch Green Lantern up to speed, and uh, they're right where they say they are, says Superman, spying with his telescopic vision. As my Martian vision confirms it, says John Jones. Well, what are we waiting for? We've got ten minutes to get there. Let's go. Uh, so ahead of them, the wizard, the master of Tibetan magic. What if he ran into uh, Rick Carter, Misto, when he was in Tibet? Oh, no, he was on a different Earth. He's from Earth, too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> See, this is the logic that applies. <laughs> um, anyway, he's, tra he's transposed himself into a duplicate of Dr. Alchemy. Here in Casino Town, we've laid eight traps. Two of them are these poker chips of hard rubber and the wood wheel of the roulette table. And the icicle, uh, with the aid of the wizard's Tibetan magic, is now a dead ringer for Kronos. As the Justice League charges in for us, we'll lure them into touching these objects and so trigger off their own doom. Three more traps are in this shower of quarters, metal, and a stuffed moose head, animal, and this pane of yellow glass. I have no idea what they're saying. <laughs> um, and and f the Fiddler has become Felix Faust. The last three hidden dooms are to be found in this jewel, some ordinary sand, and a pool of cold, clear water. When all ain't enchanted objects are touched, the magical trap will be sprung. Um... So we turn the page as the Justice League uh, confronts our disguised trio of villains, you know, basically the, the Earth 2 folks disguised as the uh, the Earth 1 guys. And since this is very similar to that uh, Felix Faust sigil thing that we had read in uh, in Episode 2, uh, we'll just sort of gloss over. Long story short, you know, one by one the JLA members, you know, reach these enchanted objects as, you know, Batman and Wonder Woman and you know, Green Lantern and Superman are all taken down. And um, and then they regroup, you know, to confront them en masse. And so as the whole team runs toward them, here they come, says the disguised uh, Dr. Alchemy. At our last meeting, we disappeared in order to escape you, says the uh, the fake Felix Faust. Now it's your turn to disappear, says the fake Kronos. And within an instant, the Justice League members suddenly are wafted away from Casino Town to their own secret sanctuary. How do we get here, says Green Arrow. I think I can answer that, says Superman. Based on the fact that there was no kryptonite anywhere in that gambling casino, my only other weakness is magic. It was magic that defeated us. Magic that brought us here. And magic that's keeping us here, says Batman, as they're trying to escape, but uh, nothing's happening. Wonder Woman's slamming in the door. They can't get out. Green Lantern is hitting it with his power ring. They can't get out. Yeah, it's magic, all right, says Superman. My telescopic vision can't even penetrate these walls. Nor my Martian vision, says John Jones. I can't even slip through the keyhole, says the Atom. This means we're imprisoned here with no way out. No way out, says Batman. Why not fight magic with magic? Merlin gave us this magical crystal ball as a souvenir of our adventure with the Sinister Sorcerers. 
Let me see the editor's note. Uh-huh. See Justice League of America number two, Secret of the Sinister Sorcerers. That was our very first Check. episode. Yep. Uh, this is a good story, actually. A lot of callbacks. Um, so Felix Faust used it to send his voice magically into our hideout. So we know it works. A great idea, Batman. So what they do is they, uh, they all get seated around the council table as the members join hands around the crystal ball. It's a, a callback to our splash panel. This must be worked at like a seance, says Batman, clearly uh, schooled in the, in the art of, of seances. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, concentrate, says John Jones. The magic inherent in that crystal ball will be focused and respond to the guidance of our combined minds. Let's try and contact the Flash first, says Green Lantern. It's just possible he was put out of the way because he had some special knowledge. So bending all their willpower and mental energy into the search, the Justice League members are soon rewarded with a vision of Barry Allen, the Flash. I'm trapped myself, fellow members, but you've been up against villains from a second Earth vibrating close to our own. Listen. So Flash relates what happened to him and, uh, and the Golden Age Flash, and then explains about the Twin Earths. What can we do, Flash? says uh, Jean Jones. Isn't there some way we can get out of this predicament? Yes, says Flash. Use the crystal ball to summon the Justice Society to Earth-1. They won't be bound by the magic that hampers you. And so, as the image of the Flash fades out, the Justice League Seans brings into view the Justice Society of America, as we see that team, you know, sort of shimmering through the smoke. Within moments, the images of the Justice Society are materialized on Earth-1, and an exciting historical meeting takes place between the Justice League and the Justice Society, as they're all glad-handing, you know, the uh, Golden Age <laughs> Adam is bending down to shake the little hand of the uh, Silver Age oh, Adam. You know, and uh, Superman's uh, talking to Dr. Fate. We've just been issued a challenge by your enemies, Kronos, Dr. Alchemy, and Felix Faust. With a spell, I'll send you into our Earth to fight them, says Dr. Fate. While we stay here, says Hawkman, to fight our foes, the Icicle, the Fiddler, and the Wizard. And so, with the magical help of Dr. Fate, the Justice League is shifted to the headquarters of the Justice Society, while on Earth-1... The Justice Society easily pierces the magical barrier that cannot hold them because it was not directed against their person. And on a dual assignment in the misty borderlands between the two Earths, the two Green Lanterns race to free the imprisoned Flashes. Definitely not the end, says the editor. The startling, stupendous climax of this story, in which the superheroes of the Justice League team up with their alter egos, the Justice Society, will appear in the next issue. Um, So yeah, I don't know necessarily super exciting, but super historic. I mean, this has never happened before. You know, these are characters that haven't been seen in, you know, nigh on 20 years, and all of a sudden they're, they're appearing en masse in one of the most uh, popular books of the day. Um, so let's not waste any time. Let's go right to the next issue. Okay. Justice League of America, number 22. I didn't know that Tootsie Roll used to make fudge. <laughs> they're both great masterpieces. The, <laughs> the self-portrait of Rembrandt <laughs> and the Tootsie Roll fudge. <laughs> So Justice League of America number 22, as I say, uh, exact same art team across the board. Uh, We see on the cover the uh, two Green Lanterns that we saw in the final panel of the last story. The Golden Age Green Lantern is saying, Only by using the combined might of our power rings can we hope to free our fellow members trapped in those space prisons. And they're basically in a sort of nether world uh, using their combined power rings against uh, Wonder Woman and Black Canary in a little cage, the two Flashes in a cage, uh, Hawkman and John Jones, and then, uh, set down below? Green Arrow and the uh, the Golden Age Adam, it looks like. A sensational Superstar Spectacular featuring the Justice League and Justice Society. Crisis on Earth 2. There's a problem with the cover. What's wrong with it? There's no purple. <laughs> There's no purple. <laughs> it's a purple cape. It's the only thing that's purple, though. <laughs> yeah. This, the, maybe the... 
maybe they were banking on the fact that it was a part two to be a seller. They didn't they didn't need any gimmicks. They they already got their their hook in you. So we open to a splash page, which is basically nothing but text. <laughs> we see uh, little headshots of the Justice League across the top, uh, little headshots of the Justice Society across the left, and little headshots of the crime champions of two Earths on uh, on the right. And all these are, are basically framing just a solid block of exposition, um, which, long story short, just recounts what we just read in the uh, in the previous Got issue. It. So let's jump right into the story itself. Sent out to rescue the trapped flashes in the energy bubbles between Earth-1 and Earth-2 are the two Green Lanterns, while meanwhile on Earth-1, the members of the Justice Society are racing to seek out and overcome their arch foes. Radio reports, says Hawkman, say the wizard is robbing in Alfalfa City. <laughs> and Hourman says, and that the fiddler is carrying on a one-man crime wave around Clayville, and the icicles pulled a job outside three corners, says Dr. Fate. Um, so even right off the bat, they're, uh, they're doing their uh, divide into three type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so soon after, in the Clayville Natural History Museum, there he is, the fiddler! Let's make sure we wrap him up good this time, Adam, him and his fiddle. The violin leaps to his shoulder as the fiddler, who's resumed his normal identity after posing as Felix Faust, sends a flow of musical energy into the air. My old foes, my plan to steal a special museum fund appears to have met with a temporary delay. So, in response to this melodious summons, a polar bear come to life, and a gorilla, as all the exhibits are suddenly animated. Uh, so long unused super muscles flex as these old timers once again do battle. Man, this is really living, says our man as he clocks the animated <laughs> polar bear. I haven't felt this alive in years, says Adam, punching a gorilla in the stomach. <laughs> so to join the bear and the gorilla, the fiddler activates a pterodactyl and a kangaroo. Wow. Yeah. So now the Justice Society duo is battling with grim ferocity. Their powerful grip prevented me from reaching my radio belt, thinks our man. Adam, can you manage to hurl that winged reptile in my direction? Exerting his last ounce of strength, the Adam sends a pterodactyl flying straight toward our man. Coming up, one pterodactyl on the wing. As the quips start flying, because they're just loving being back in action. As the stuffed creature crashes into the man of the hour, the impact turns on his radio belt. I couldn't reach its controls myself, but I preset them to a frequency that will jam the fiddler's violin music. So as our man's radio beeps to interfere with the sound waves getting off by the fiddler's violin, the animals come to an abrupt halt. Whew, says the fiddler, you two are just as dangerous as you were more than a decade ago. And to prove it, like two twin tornadoes, the Justice Society duo cuts down the violin villain. Next step for you is jail, as they tackle him. One down. (laughs) Meanwhile, miles to the west, in an open-air art gallery, the icicle is making off with priceless works of art. These statues will bring me plenty when... What? It's Dr. Fate. I wasn't expecting him here on this earth, but I'm always prepared for any emergency. So what he does is shoots his cold ray gun, sending a frigid blast upward toward a dark cloud, bringing down a chilled rain on the Master of Magic. Uh, So as the rain alters its shape around Dr. Fate, Guess I'm a little rusty after such a long-term retirement. If I were in top condition, he'd never have the chance to freeze me in this ice column. As more and more rain falls, it freezes into an upright ice shaft that looms gigantic as it builds second by second. I'll build a glacier around Dr. Fate, encasing him in so much ice I'll have plenty of time to make my getaway. Uh, but surrounded by numbing ice, the man of magic calls upon his great powers so long unused. All the wisdom of ancient Egypt is in my mind. I must release it by the spells of the lost Book of Toth. In response to the modern mage's mental orders, streaks of magical lightning tunnel a narrow path through the ice, and streaking upward, the magical bolts form mighty fires in the sky that hurtle down upon the frozen column. So hot and fierce are the falling flames that the ice quickly melts to water. As we see, uh, yes, as all that's left is a cloud of steam through which Dr. Fate emerges. 
And so what Dr. Fate does with the melted water is he quickly directs it into a flash flood that sweeps the icicle off his feet. Oh, I dare not activate my cold ray gun or I'll freeze myself in solid ice. When you hit the wall and are knocked out, you'll wake up in the nearest jail, says Dr. Fate. Elsewhere, the shadow of Hawkman keeps pace with the racing black canary as they rush to keep a rendezvous with the wizard. I see the wizard up ahead, says Hawkman, making his getaway after robbing a jewelry store. You can have first crack at him, Hawkman. I'll deal him the finishing touch, says Black Canary running below. The flying fury will really be mad when my magical wand commences his wings to fly him into outer space, says the wizard, shooting him with a blast from his wand. And as for the Black Canary, I'll rock her back on her heels, as he turns his wand on a pile of rocks. So upward into the upper layers of the atmosphere rises the winged wonder, Hawkman, his mighty pinions defying his control. As far below, the Black Canary struggles with the magical endowed beings of solid rock who leap to intercept her, as basically these sort of anthropomorphic rock creatures emerge and, and grab her. Oh, I can't shake this man rock off, says Black Canary. <laughs> Gripped by hands that tighten around her body, the girl gladiator struggles furiously. No matter what I do, these things still cling to me. They weigh so much, they're forcing me off my feet. And as she goes down, Black Canary contorts herself so that her nimble fingers yank open her canary amulet. I thought it said mullet. <laughs> it does look like mullet, <laughs> but no, it's, it's her amulet. My one hope is to prevent the wizard from directing the actions of his rocky puppets. So from the amulet, it looks like she pulls out a little magnifying glass and sort of catches a beam of light and points it at some nearby bushes. So intense is the heat from her special gadget that the bushes burst into flame. Upward rolls a thick wall of black smoke. Unless I see my rockmen, I can't direct their battle against the black canary, thinks uh, the wizard. And indeed, it does prove his downfall, because leaping upward through the wall of smoke and flame comes the Black Canary. But the wizard counters. My wand turning into a medieval battle mace will knock you cold. You missed, wizard, but I won't, she says as the, the mace flies by her. Gripped in powerful hands, the great magician is swung up and flung high in a jujitsu wrestling hold. My compliments on your neat trick, Black Canary. Now it's my turn to top you, as uh, even as he's flying through the air, his enchantment begins to take effect. My body, it's turning to solid marble, says Black Canary. As oh, that's indeed, evil. Yeah, she's turning into a rock. Uh, but meanwhile, uh, Hawkman has apparently removed his disobedient wings, uh, which are just part of his costume. They're not actually, you know, uh, you know, part of his body. He's not a winged fellow. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but what he's done is he's pulled them off, and he's supported by eagles, whose language he apparently speaks and who obey his commands. Uh, sort of an Aquaman of the sky, if you will. Um, luckily... The wizard hurled his battle mace upward at such an angle that I can grab hold of it. So under his command, uh, his eagle friends swoop him down as he cracks the wizard with the mace. Uh, the moment he becomes unconscious, thinks Hawkman, his magic will stop. And sure enough, uh, he must mm -hmm. be knocked out because there's Black Canary uh, transforms back from a rock into just a, a normal woman. You all right, Black Canary? Thanks to you, I am. But how did you escape the wizard's magic? I summoned my friends the eagles to catch me when I slipped out of my wings. They brought me down here just in the nick of time. Now let's take the wizard off to jail. Meanwhile, in the misty borderland between the two earths, we see the two green lanterns uh, being buffeted by terrible gales. Even our superpowers are hard put to offset these incredible blasts, says uh, Silver Age Green Lantern. Up ahead, I think I see a structure of some sort, says Golden Age Green Lantern. Story continuing on the second page following. <laughs> but first, <laughs> our, uh, our educational feature is a uh, half-pager, which is, uh, what is the difference between decay and rot? <laughs> so decay, as the image of a, a dentist illustrates, is a partial or complete deterioration by progressive natural changes, such as tooth decay. Whereas rot, 
<laughs> so we see a, a man holding a hanky over his nose in front of a, a sack of vegetables is a stronger term than decay, especially applied to decaying vegetable matter, which emanates an offensive odor. Uh, for instance, potato rot. Ew. Yeah. God. Well, I, I can tell you, honestly, um, as a child, I used to work on a potato farm and there is nothing more disgusting than the smell of rotting potatoes. Um, so <laughs> this is very much an educational feature, Ugh. warding children off of farm service before the age of uh, 14. <laughs> and then I say uh, half page because the bottom half, as if to you know salt my wounds, is yet another coupon for uh, the Palisades Park Amusement Park. It mocks you. Yeah. Although, oh, there is a, a, a ride called the Cuddle Up. <laughs> been uh, fun back in the day. So, so let's turn the page and continue on with Crisis on Earth 2, Chapter 2. So, sent into Earth 2 by the magical powers of Dr. Fate, the members of the Justice League of America set out on the trail of their archfoes, Felix Faust, Dr. Alchemy, and Kronos. Given another opportunity to match wits and muscles against these crime champions, they're grimly determined to emerge the victors. They better, man. They've been defeated twice already. Mm-hmm. So. They step up their game. So we went on a carnival in which Felix Faust has been robbing its special charity day receipts. That is low, Felix Faust. Come on, that's the best you can do. What's this? Thinks Felix Faust. The Martian Manhunter? Atom? Green Arrow? I thought they were safely locked up in their headquarters. But no matter. This powerful pinwheel will help me defeat them. As with a triumphant cackle, he speaks the cantrip, which the editor tells us is a magical incantation, uh, which will make his magic work. And he states... Wheel that is round and called a pin, whirl around in a steady spin. As uh, one by one our three heroes are, are turned themselves into pinwheels, we see uh, John Jones and the Adam and Green Arrow just spinning out of control through the air. As the archer rotates faster and faster, he's trying to shoot arrows at uh, Felix Faust, but ha-ha, even your weapons are deserting you in your hour of need, Green Arrow. Though in a dizzying spin, so great is the super breath of the Martian Manhunter that I'll blow G.A.'s arrows right at our foe. Ah! Even turning like a propeller, he's dangerous, as uh, Jean catches the arrows in a gust and sends them hurtling towards Felix Faust. Uh, but Felix Faust counters Jean's attack, uh, conjuring up a apparently a target in the air. Target large or small, attract those arrows, catch them all. So as green arrow shafts dig deep into the magically magnetic target, the bowman manages to bring out a tiny bow and arrow and fires it. Okay, Adam, do your stuff with one of my small arrows. And see, yeah. Uh, Shoots a tiny little bitty arrow toward uh, toward the atom. Why does he even have an arrow that small? I I have no idea. He has uh, he has arrows for every occasion. Like we're not gonna get too deep into green arrow, but he's got like we saw he had the paint arrow. He's got glue arrows. He's got a boxing glove arrow. I kid you not. <laughs> so and apparently he's got very very tiny arrows that uh, he's lending one there to the atom. So what happens is this tiny little arrow you know flies by and the atom grabs onto it. I'll reduce my size and weight so the arrow will carry me along without losing its momentum. Gotta be ready to make my move the instant this arrow hits the target, as it's heading toward uh, Felix Faust's sort of magic target. So as the arrow digs into the magical canvas, the mighty might, as they are calling the atom, uh, releases his hold and pinwheels upward. Upward from shaft to shaft he spins, uh, basically like sort of climbing the arrows that have already been lodged in there. Until, okay. at the very top of the target, still rotating madly, he releases his hold and arches through the air. By increasing my weight and then decreasing it, the end of the last arrow shaft acted like a springboard, hurtling me over the top of the target. Um, I, know, I realize the Adam's sort of a new character to you, so you know, I'll just throw this in here. Modifying his weight is a big part of uh, his shtick. You know, like a lot of the physics of size are very important in Adam's stories, 
and, uh, and and weight as it relates to motion, that type of thing. It's really mm-hmm. quite a, quite a clever uh, strip, you know, even though it you know, looks somewhat ludicrous, a man, you know, going the tiny little size. Um, and so as the atom uh, completes his gambit, like a stone from a sling, regaining his normal six-inch size and 180-pound weight, he catapults into Felix Faust with terrific impact. As he puts 180 pounds of force, boom, into a punch, Felix Faust right on the chin. And as the magician slumps unconscious, his spell ceases to work, and when Felix Faust comes to, says the Martian Manhunter, he'll be in prison. Instead, each one of them says that. They're very, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, very insistent upon sending these guys to prison. So, so we cut to another scene, uh, flying high above a mountainous countryside, where we see the planes of Wonder Woman and Batman scanning the landscape for a glimpse of Dr. Alchemy. No sign of him yet, says Wonder Woman from her invisible jet. The radar reports that he was headed this way, uh, says Batman from his Batplane. But it's Dr. Alchemy who first catches sight of the high-flying superheroes. Incredible! How could they possibly have escaped the secret sanctuary trap? What's the difference? With my matter transformer, I'll turn their planes into winged bucking broncos. And he does. And he does. We see the radiation from the matter transformer uh, touch their planes as the Amazon princess and Gotham Goliath find themselves battling for their lives. Uh, Wonder Woman's is transformed into a white horse and Batman's to a black horse. There's no wind currents here in this valley, says Wonder Woman. If I'm tossed off, I'll fall to the ground like a stone. You and me both, Wonder Woman, so hang on, says Batman. As far below them, Dr. Alchemy thinks, although the effects of my matter transformer last over only about 20 minutes, that will be long enough to seal the doom of Wonder Woman and Batman when they're thrown to earth by those bucking broncos. Wilder grow the winged horses, ever more ferocious in their attempts to dislodge their riders. I'm slipping off, says Batman. I can't hold on any longer, says Wonder Woman. Suddenly, Wonder Woman yanks free her magic lasso. That unusual rock formation below looks like a hitching post. That gives me an idea. I'll latch onto it with one end of my lariat. As she does so, and controlling the other end of the lasso, uh, so that it holds both steeds, Wonder Woman takes advantage of the winds created by the widely beating pinions of the horses. I can ride these wind currents easily, thinks Wonder Woman. Catch me with your utility rope, Batman, and I'll glide you softly to the ground. But... As their feet are about to touch the ground, oh, we're still falling. The ground beneath us has changed into air. More of Dr. Alchemy's handiwork, says Batman. Um, And so they keep falling all the way to the bottom of the crater. And uh, once they get there, the air around them starts to turn to soil again. Oh no, we'll be buried alive, says Batman. Not if we get out of here by tunneling a a path sideways through the ground. Follow me, Batman, (laughs) says Wonder Woman as she starts to spin. I say, she's like a drill. Yeah, I don't follow Wonder Woman a lot, so I'm not sure like her powers, but I've never seen her spin. Oh wait, Uh, certainly on the TV show, I guess I've seen her spin that fast. Um, Meanwhile, on the surface, we see Doctor Alchemy. I guess assuming the success of his, his trap, because he's thinking, "I'll hide this money I stole from the Ferndale Bank in this cave." What's that? Can't anything stop you, Justice League characters, he says, as uh, Wonder Woman and Batman, uh, you know, uh, rise from the ground. I'll turn you into solid lead. Maybe that'll hold you for a while. You've given me an idea, Dr. Alchemy, says Batman. So half in and half out of his escape tunnel, Batman makes the most desperate throw of his life as he bullets a tiny glass pellet straight for the matter transformer. If I miss, he'll get Wonder Woman before she can reach him. Uh, But he doesn't miss, because the glass pellet thuds into the matter transformer, becoming a flame. Startled, Dr. Alchemy releases its hold. Ow, that fire stung me. There was powdered lead in that pellet, and when powdered lead comes in contact with the air, it bursts into flames. That's the same trick he used against those uh, those trees. <laughs> Silver Age Batman and powdered lead go hand in hand. <laughs> <laughs> so while Wonder Woman and Batman are leading Dr. Alchemy to jail, the two Green Lanterns burst into the Between Worlds hideout of the Crime Champions. 
at last we've reached the imprisoned flashes as they crash through the wall and we see uh, Barry Allen and Jay Garrick in these tiny little bubbles. A couple of Green Lanterns coming to our rescue, says Flash. So beaming their power rings at the bubbles, the Emerald Gladiators are amazed to discover that we can't get into these bubbles or bring them out. Their rings are just having no effect. Aww. Yeah, so one by one they try different uh, power forms. So we see Silver Age Green Lantern making a uh, uh, power ring construct of, of a saw, and we see uh, the Golden Age one using a hammer. We won't give up. There must be a way to free them. But even as the two Green Lanterns labor to free the two Flashes, near a lighthouse on Earth 2, uh, we see Kronos trying to make a getaway. I've succeeded in stealing this rare clock that made this lighthouse famous. Ah, look who's coming to pass the time of day with me. As uh, Superman and Aquaman close in. And as those two heroes arrive, um, to their surprise, uh, Kronos suddenly surrenders. My time's run out. I'm your prisoner. Watch out for a trick, Aquaman, says mm-hmm. Superman, wary of it. Uh, so with Superman at the controls of the flying sundial, uh, off they move with their captive when suddenly Aquaman collapses. What's happened to him, says Superman. Ha ha, my special vibration watch put him into a coma, Superman. I had to time it just right. Unless you expose him to the healing rays of a certain kryptonite meteor, which I've placed on a little island in the Pacific, he's doomed, and you have only one minute in which to do it. So it's time you got started. And get started he does, because Superman grips the flying sundial with both hands and rockets across the Pacific Ocean at close to the speed of light. Kryptonite will weaken me, perhaps even destroy me, but I must risk that in order to save Aquaman. So arriving at the island, indeed, we do see a glowing kryptonite meteor. Why is he trusting him at all? I have no idea. <laughs> of course, of course, well, and Superman's thinking the same thing. Of course, Kronos may be bluffing, but I don't dare call him. Aquaman's life is the most important thing to be considered right now. You know, that or common sense, dude. But, uh, <laughs> but in the interval, when Superman is weakened by the kryptonite and before Aquaman is fully recovered, there's no time to waste, thinks Kronos. Here's where I make my getaway while neither of them is able to stop me. And he takes off on his little flying sundial. Moments later, when Aquaman's strength returns to him, You saved my life, Superman, but Kronos got away. I figured as much, says the weakened Superman. I'll track him down with my telescopic vision. Um, but when Superman searches for the time thief, he isn't anywhere I can see, neither on earth nor sky. That means Kronos is using his sundial to flee under the sea, says Aquaman. I'll command the sea creatures to hunt him down for me. In response to the Sea King's telepathic command, a message is relayed back from finny fish to guild beings, and the message, the telepathic message that these uh, fish are transmitting to each other is, uh, Kronos, moving towards Straits of Magellan. And uh, this message eventually reaches our duo, because instantly, upon receipt of that news, Superman and Aquaman speed to the tip of South America. Just before we reach the Straits, I'll drop you off, says Superman to Aquaman. I don't want that vibratory watch of his to hurt you a second time. Soon, the Man of Steel recaptures his prisoner. I'll crush the vibratory watch so you can't harm Aquaman again, says Superman to Kronos. Then we'll both take you to jail. You'll serve time for your crimes now, says Superman. <laughs> yeah, spinning some, uh, some bad punnage back at him. Good. Um, About time. But meanwhile, in the borderland between two Earths, uh, we see the two Green Lanterns um, still mulling over their Flash problem. There's only one hope left, says Silver Age Green Lantern, since both Flashes can see and hear us. I catch your drift, says Golden Age Green Lantern. Light and sound waves can pass through the bubbles. All we have to do is, and what they do apparently is uh, shoot their beams directly into the bubbles, reducing the flashes down to protons of light, uh, which allows them to burst through the bubble prisons. That's a dangerous gambit there, yeah. <laughs> reducing them to, to like light particles. Um, but as soon as they regain their freedom, uh, both the flashes and the Green Lanterns shimmer and fade out of existence. 
Hmm. At the same moment on Earth-1, uh, we see all those heroes beginning to fade. Dr. Fate and, and Hawkman and Black Canary and, and the Atom. And on Earth-2, same things happen at our guys. Uh, there's John Jones, Green Arrow, Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, everybody fading. Hmm. As the villains celebrate, you know, on Earth-1, the wizard says, Ha-ha, there go our captors, fading out. Our foresight in arranging a trap to snap shut around them if they ever freed the flashes is sure paying off. And on Earth-2, uh, Felix Faust says, we couldn't trap them this way without the help of the two Green Lanterns because we didn't have enough power to work the incantation. As soon as the Green Lanterns supplied that extra power by freeing the flashes, zzz, the trap sprang shut. This is a super complicated plan. Yeah. Like, like I am barely like following the, the logic of this. There's like there's magic and there's science all interwoven. I mean, like seriously, if the audience for this is little children, they must have been so confused. Yeah, I gotta say that's that's a lot. Like you know for. For you to say that? Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, our story continues on the third page following, so let's do it. <laughs> so on the third page following, uh, we begin Crisis on Earth 2, Chapter 3. Uh, so as they disappear from Earth 1 and Earth 2, the Justice League and Justice Society members find themselves locked inside cages far out in the depth of space. As we see a sort of uh, netherworld with all of our heroes sort of paired up in these little cages, and it looks as near as possible as they try to, uh, you know, pair them either um, by code name or at least thematically. Like we see the two green lanterns in a single cage. Uh, we see the two flashes, the two atoms, um, our man and Batman. I guess they're both sort of street level, you know, scufflers. Uh, Wonder Woman, um, Black Canary, the you know, two ladies, um, Jean Jones and Hawkman. Mm -hmm. I guess both sort of flying heroes. Um, but I, I don't know. There's also there's Superman and. Uh, Aquaman from the same Earth, so I don't know what that pairing is all about, and uh, Dr. Fate and Green Arrow, so maybe they just ran out of thematic mm, pairings. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we see our heroes trying to escape, but neither the power rings of the two Green Lanterns nor the superpowers of the various members can manage an escape. There's no kryptonite around these, says Superman, so the cages must have been fashioned by magic. No matter how hard I try, thinks the Atom, I can't shrink between the atoms of this cage. I've improved my miracle pills over the past 20 years, thinks Our Man, to give me even greater powers than I used to have, but to no avail, as he's pounding on the glass. Suddenly, the Atom contacts the Green Lanterns through telepathic communication between the cages. I can't slip through the atoms of my cage because it was specially designed to prevent it. Maybe you two can make yourself small and drop between the atoms of your cage. It's an idea, says Green Lantern. Worth trying, says Golden Age Green Lantern. Once again, similar to Wonder Woman, I, you know, like... A lot of the powers the Green Lanterns use, I, I think, are sort of in flux because I don't remember that they can shrink themselves. Right. Like they make powering constructs, but maybe it was more fluid back in the in the sixties. Um, so turning their powerings on themselves, the Emerald Gladiators shrink their bodies to subatomic size and plummet through the floor of the cage. We must coat our bodies with a power sheath to protect ourselves against the dangers of space. Then free the others. Say the two uh, passing through the wall. Right. So, freeing themselves from the cage, they hurl the might of their power rings at the cages containing the Flash. But, we don't have quite enough power to force it open, thinks the Golden Age Green Lantern. Wait, we've diverted some of our power to protect ourselves in these auras. If we turn off that extra power onto the cage, it might do the trick. So instantly, both Green Lanterns remove their auras and concentrate their full strength of their power rings on the Flash's cages. And it works, as the Flash's cage is suddenly torn asunder. Um, and then immediately, the Green Lantern puts a protective bubble around those two. Uh, so safe from the dangers of space, the two speedsters help the exhausted Green Lanterns onto the next cell, which is the one of Wonder Woman and Black Canary. And what they do is um, they stand on top and vibrate at super speed until they shatter that one. And so one by one, they hit all the cages and... Uh, free everybody. 
Now let's mix it up with those crime champions for the last time. So on Earth 2, the crime champions have joined forces after the imprisonment of the Justice League and Justice Society members. But now... Wait, I sense disaster, says Felix Faust. As do I, says the wizard. Incredible as it seems, our arch foes have managed to escape their space cages. <laughs> space cages? <laughs> this time, I've got a sinking feeling that when we battle them again, they'll nab us for good, says the icicle. Then we've got to escape, says Kronos, where they'll never find us. But where, says Felix Faust. It's actually, I'm noticing in this panel, it's actually kind of a nice pairing up from a design perspective. If you, you look at the sort of pairs, you know, you've got... Um, Dr. Alchemy and the Icicle, you know, one from Earth 1, one from Earth 2, and they both sort of have, um, you know, that hat that, that, that goes backwards, sort of like yep. a, uh, you know, I don't know, what would you call that? Like a... Uh, and, almost like a jester. Yeah, like a jester's hat, almost. And then you've got the two magic users, you know, you've got Felix Faust and the wizard paired up, and then you've got the fiddler and Kronos, who are both sort of like, you know, very green outfits. It's just like, I think they chose well in, in you know, in um, sort of parallel characters, you know, from the two Earths. At least from like a visual perspective. It's well balanced. Yeah. So suddenly the fiddler cries out, I've got it. There's an Earth 1 and an Earth 2. Somewhere there must be an Earth 3. If we can... Oh, it's getting more <laughs> and more complex. If we can find the doorway into it, just before the justice champions find us, we can escape them forever. So for a few precious moments, they conduct their search. If magic hides it, we'll uncover the passageway, says Felix Faust. I found the gateway to Earth-1 with my sonic vibrations, says the Fiddler. Maybe I can do the same for Earth-3, he says, suddenly firing up his, uh, his bow. If time hides it, says Kronos, my chronological knowledge will reveal it. <laughs> I don't know how that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> Too late, here they come, says the icicle, apparently not helping at all. All of them! <laughs> <laughs> and indeed, our two teams do descend upon our villains as we get a beautiful two-page spread uh, with Mike Sikowski doing what he does do best, uh, action scenes. Uh, you know, we see the Green Arrow, Our Man, and the Atom attacking the Icicle, and, uh, you know, we see Wonder Woman lassoing the uh, wizard as Golden Age Flash runs by, nabbing his wand. We see Superman and Golden Age Green Lantern, you know, pummeling Dr. Alchemy. A Silver Age Green Lantern, Hawkman, and the uh, Golden Age Atom attack the Fiddler. We get the trio of Dr. Fate, Batman, and the Silver Age Flash attacking Felix Faust, and then finally Jean Jones and the Black Canary uh, pairing up against Kronos. Uh, really, really nice two-page spread. Yeah, it looks it looks awesome. And apparently that awesome battle sequence does the trick, because when the sounds of battle die away, we see our heroes triumphant over our villains lying prone on the ground. We save not only Earth-1 and Earth-2, but for all we know, Earth-3 as well, says Dr. Fate. Yes, and we'll take precautions to see that they never threaten anyone or anything else again, says Hawkman. So after the crime champions have been securely jailed, uh, we see our two hero teams saying their farewells, going to keep in touch, says Hawkman. There's no telling when we may be called upon to join forces again, as Aquaman puts in a final note. I can just see Snappercar's face when he learns he had to miss our biggest adventure of all because he had to take his college exams. I hope he passes his test as well as we did ours. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I thought he was gone. Yeah. Uh, maybe he is. I, I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, so that was the uh, the very first team up, as I say, uh, across the multiverse from Earth One and Earth Two uh, with the Justice Society and Justice League. And as I mentioned, this would become a uh, a yearly event each summer. The two teams uh, crossing over. Um, now this one in particular was a little bit more magic focused. Like I say, two of the villains. You know, we had the Wizard and we had Felix Faust. And then, uh, but more importantly, we saw, at least from our perspective, the introduction of the character Doctor Fate. 
So I definitely wanted to cover this particular crossover. I don't know if we're going to cover every crossover between these two teams, but probably, you know, given our, our podcast, just the magic-centric ones. Um, as I mentioned before, um, Dr. Fate, we just sort of did a cursory introduction to the character, um, but he's going to become very, very important in the DC universe and probably one of the top magic users across the entire imprint. Good, because I was uh, wanting more of the... Of Dr. Fate in there. Well, you're in luck because in our very next episode, we're going to get more Dr. Fate. Um, as, I, as I said, you know, little by little, they were sort of reintroducing, you know, some of these Golden Age characters. You know, we saw in um, those couple Flash crossovers we looked at, you know, they brought back the Golden Age Flash. Um, the Golden Age Green Lantern is going to appear in that title. Um, but then I have mentioned this title a couple times to you, uh, Showcase Comics. It was where the Silver Age Flash and Green Lantern first debuted. They're going to use that as a sort of proving ground um, to test the popularity of these Golden Age characters to see if they're ripe for revival. And, uh, and the two characters that they're going to try that with first are actually going to be Our Man and Dr. Fate. Um, so in our next episode, that's the story we're going to take a look at, the team-up of those two characters. And uh, it's kind of a, a shorter story, so what we'll do then is we'll then we'll actually turn back the hands of time and look at Dr. Fate's very first appearance uh, from more fun comics. Good. Okay. That sound good to you? Yeah. All right, cool. All right, so with that in mind, um, that's the stories for tonight. Uh, you know, looping it back around to what I said at the beginning of the episode, uh, if there's any new listeners, uh, what we always do at the end of these episodes then is turn it over to Melanie, uh, as I say, who's acting as the proxy for the parliament, uh, who will judge these stories. And similar to that Sandman story, you know, we see whether the Rook lives to fly another day or whether his story was not good and uh, and the Parliament turns on him and, and kills him. <laughs> so, uh, all right, so Melanie, I'm assuming you want to judge uh, both Crisis on Earth 1 and Crisis on Earth 2 as a single yeah, story? Yeah, you, you kind of have to. Yeah, so, uh, all right, let me uh, let me give you the floor and, uh, and get your thoughts. Okay, so um, this story, it, it seemed to be long and there's really really like uh overly complicated and detailed oh it was very complex wasn't it yeah totally um it was a lot for me to take in because like we've gone over all these stories and while i have the knowledge it's still very new knowledge it's not working knowledge mm -hmm. yet i found it extremely hard to follow it however having said that i can see how this story in particular with all the references that they were pulling in would really draw in like their, their audience. It must have been very rewarding for somebody to read that story and know what the editors are noting, you know, like referencing you know, like various other stories. Oh, seriously. I mean, like, yeah, for, for instance, like in this very story, like let's just take our, our, our podcast as, as a microcosm, you know, within our four episodes, like we had already read the first Felix Faust story. We read The Secret of the Sinister Sorcerers, you know, that introduced the Merlin concept that Batman was talking about. Mm -hmm. um, you know, offline, we'd taken a look at the, um, you know, the uh, Flash of Two Worlds. Right. So all these elements are definitely coming together in one. It's basically a very much a universe-building story. Yeah. Um, yeah, I understand it's a little overwhelming with, you know, all the moving parts. And, and honestly, like I say, you know, I was kind of confused at, at some points. But yeah, you know, to your point, yeah, I think rewarding for, for those who are looking for something larger than the, the one-off. Yeah, absolutely. I could see that. Now, having said that, I mean, like the the little birdie's gonna live. Oh, really? Okay. That's a yeah. surprise to me. I, I thought. Well, you it's it's only because like even though it, it was difficult for me, and yes, it's me judging it, but I can see how this story would really work for its target audience. Mm. So that was good. 
there were over 20 characters listed in here and, yeah. and I know because I counted them. Yeah. Well, you know, it's more bang for your buck, right? You know, like say, that's the reason Justice League was so popular. It's like, you know, do I want to spend my dime to get, you know, the story of one hero or do I want to spend it to get, you know, uh, eight, you know, and this one, yeah, you're, yeah. Get, you're getting 20. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it was a lot for me, but overall really good. And so actually, though, I do have a question for you, um, given the focus of our podcast, you know, that we're um, reviewing the magic and the supernatural. I know this one was only sort of peripherally uh, related. Like I say, you know, you did have Felix Faust and, and the wizard and then the, you know, the uh, reintroduction of Dr. Fate. Um, what did you think about that element? Was it too soft a touch? Would you have liked to have seen more magic in this story or was it a nice balance? You know, maybe a touch more because most of the magic was coming from the, the darker side. And, and as I mentioned before, I did want more of the Dr. Fate stuff. But I think some of that was uh, because I, I, I like I like the voice that you do. <laughs> my, 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 yeah, my, my pseudo Yule Brenner. Yeah, so that might not be the right reason to to want more Dr. Fate, but, but that's I'll my take reason. It. Hey, I'll take so, it. I like Dr. Fate. And, and actually, I have to say, that I, I was also, I was liking Black Canary, and I know that she's not a magic character. Mm-hmm. But I, I do like her character. She's a very popular character. She was actually in a, an all-female-focused team um, you know, that was very popular called Birds of Prey. It was basically her, a character called the Huntress, who's part of like the Batman family, and, uh, and the former Batgirl. And yeah, like I say, wildly popular. Black Canary's a, a fan favorite. Huh. Yeah. Nice. Okay. And just, this is more like a, a side note. Um, the Fiddler? Mm-hmm. Who was he supposed to look like? Was it Mozart? Yeah, I don't think he's supposed to look like anybody in specific. I don't think he's like based on Mozart or Beethoven. He just has that sort of stereotypical musician thing, the sort of like wild hair composer type thing. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a specific reference, just a sort of generalized musician cliche. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So cool. So overall, the uh, first JLA, JSA crossover gets a, a thumbs up from you. Honestly, if the judging were put in my hands, I would have gone the other way. But, you know, it's, you know, it's your segment. So by all means, um, so cool. So like I say, next time out, uh, we're going to be all Dr. Fate-centric. Uh, we're going to take a look at his uh, showcase reintroduction and, you know, one or two Golden Age stories. Like I say, certainly his first appearance, you know, maybe a second. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, but until then, as always, I want to thank you all for joining us. Uh, I hope you had a good time, and we hope to see you here next time on the Parliament of Rooks podcast. Thanks, everybody. any questions, comments, corrections, or suggestions, you can email us at tporpodcast at gmail.com.